and welcome to Build Momentum, where we make PR easy for education organizations. We're so glad you're joining us. We couldn't be more excited to dive in and help you achieve bigger results with PR. In this podcast, our goal is to make PR easy for education nonprofits, startups, research institutes, and schools. You can count on learning how to develop simple, replicable PR strategies and how to execute on those strategies. I'm your host, Sarah Williamson, and I've spent the past 15 years working in public relations where I've been able to understand what works and what doesn't when it comes to PR and how to land results that build your credibility. I will share my tips for success and interview others who have achieved the same to provide you with a PR framework you can use within your own organization. If you're looking to increase brand awareness, enhance your profile, and stand out from the crowd, and you want to learn simple, actionable strategies to do it, you're in the right place. And I just released a new guide with my top three secrets for landing media coverage. You can get your hands on a copy of that guide at mediatips.swpr-group.com. That's mediatips.swpr-group.com. I'm so excited to have Kanoi Namahoy, the Director of Content for Smart Brief Education on the show with us today. Smart Brief Education covers the latest breaking news in education technology within the K-12 and higher ed sectors. As an editor, Kanoi has a broad perspective of what the trends are in K-12 education, and she's also an approachable and extremely kind editor, and I absolutely love working with Kanoi. We're so happy to have you. Welcome to the show, Kanoi. Thank you so much for having me, Sarah. You're a delight. And I, I want to um, say up front that I think that the, the job that you do, the job that marketers do, the job that ed tech providers do, certainly research inst- institutions and absolutely schools is an urgent one. It's an important one. But the communication engines that are functioning in those in, in all of those different places, it's a huge role. You know, it, it serves an important role in supporting the overall function and ambition of education, which is serving students. So um, I appreciate being here and anything I could do to support that, I want to. Wonderful. Thanks so much. We're so glad to have you. Uh, Would you mind, so I ran through who you are and where you work and your background, but I'd love for you to share a little bit more with my audience about how you got your start in the media and why you're so passionate about K-12, because you are so passionate and it it definitely comes through. Oh, sure. I took the most unorthodox pathway to my current role. I think that now in our current workforce, that is becoming a norm that where everybody's sort of taking these non-straight roads to get, to get to their careers and find the thing that they really want to do. I've been in B2B publishing 22 and a half years, but I started in B2B on the ad sales side. But where, where my cube was situated in, in the office is I was sitting near the editorial team and the art team. So I would hear these guys talking every month about planning the book. They would be talking about cover lines and stories and writers and angles and art, you know, matching the art to the stories. And it was the most interesting, fascinating conversations. I was a young single mom, so I had to make a certain income. So I didn't think about it too heavily until one month. I just thought, I'm just going to talk to those guys. So I went to the managing editor and I asked her about it. She's like, are you serious? Because I think you'd be good at this. But she knew I'd probably make more money on the sales side of things. And I, I didn't actually care too much about that. Their conversations were so intriguing and, and the things that they, they were doing had, had purpose. And within a couple of months, they kind of created a hybrid role for me where I was, title was like e-media manager. So I was like half sales and half marketing slash 
custom content. And that's when custom content was really starting to get its foothold. And when I moved into this custom content role, it was not full editorial. It was supporting the editorial team with the task. So I started it on that side. And actually, I think that was the best place for me to start in my career because I gained valuable experience. I learned real quickly what good writing looks like and what bad writing looks like. It was such a valuable real world learning experience for me. And frankly, that's actually where I learned the most valuable lesson that I that I still keep with me today. That's the cornerstone of all the content that, that we ever create, which is listen to the audience. That's where I learned successful content is predicated on that. And nothing will make you more aware of that than working in content marketing. A few more years went by managing multiple deadlines, managing multiple freelancers, working on the budgets that go along with that. And then I got headhunted here to Smart Brief and started as the EdTech editor. And then I applied and moved into this role as the director of content. And I absolutely love Smart Brief. I absolutely love serving this market. I actually serve K-20. We spend the majority of our time talking about K-12, but we have reached into the higher ed audience. And as a Native Hawaiian woman who grew up in a middle-class home and has roots in Hawaii and with large families, I can tell you that I grew up with this understanding that education levels a playing field. You can come from a little and you, or you can come from a lot. But if you have an education behind you, whatever that is, if it's a four-year degree, if it's a two-year certification, whatever that is, it gives you a stability and a leg up and it puts you on an even playing field to get whatever it is you want. Mm-hmm. And, and so that became very important to me. And it became a natural thing to me. So some things in education covering this market don't seem difficult to me because they make sense because it comes from a personal perspective. I tend to say personal versus passionate. That's one of those words that I think has tremendous meaning, but it's kind of been overused. And I'm always kind of trying to write myself with that. So my compass is what serves the reader, what serves students. And, and that's, that's been the compass that I've used for all my year, 22 and a half years of B2B, about 17 in, in education. I have no desire to go to any other vertical. I love working in this market. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's such a great story. That, that is so much more in depth than I thought you were going to go. And I'm so glad you did. My favorite part that you shared is how you really listen to your audience. I think that's so important and people don't, often they don't even think that that's part of the process, but it really is so important to listen and respond. Okay. So as you know, I shared with you earlier, my audience is made up of a group of nonprofit education organizations, ed tech startups, think tanks, and school leaders. And one of the questions many of these organizations have is, how do, how do I approach the media? It seems like this very mysterious place and people, people aren't really sure how stories get written and how things transpire in the media. So we want to just give them a little glimpse behind the curtain. Let's just back up and say editorial versus advertising is where you reach out to an editor and share content and try to get that published and you do not have to pay. So that's exactly. the difference between advertising and editorial. Exactly. Just, just in case our audience needs a little, there, yeah. there you go. <laughs> sure. Sure. And I, I'm going to speak on behalf of Smart Beeping from my experience, because I think it might be different pitching to like a newspaper or, or a B2C business to consumer mm-hmm. audience. But how do I like to be pitched? And you know, what, what do I look for in a good pitch? The first thing I look for is do your homework. I get pitched a lot by ed, education technology companies 
do your homework, understand who and what Smart Brief Education is about. We are a publication that we focus on the educator, the person in the classroom, the decision makers in, in the buildings, to the district level, the instructional designers, we, the education technologists, that's my audience. So if you're handing me something that has nothing to do with that audience, then you're talking to the wrong person. Like, don't come to me with the story for parents, because while teachers are parents, principals are parents, that's not my primary audience. That's a story better suited for a parenting magazine or for a different publication. So you should do your homework first. Who does Smart Brief Education serve? You know, we are K-12. We do some early learning, but really if you're, if you're like, we don't really cover toys. So I, I get pitches on things like puppets or... What? Um, yeah, very, like really random things. And I know I'm sure that engages children, but there's a bigger story that, that we have to be aware of. And, and product pitches can be tough anyway. When I say do your homework, read the stories that we're producing, <laughs> read the stories that are in our newsletters, read the stories that are in our originals content channel. And that, and you won't find anything about puppets in there. So that might not be the best pitch. So don't waste your time. Secondly, if you're sending me a pitch, Make it brief and put the most important things I need to know, the story angle, right up front in the first or second paragraph. If your pitch is four, five, and six paragraphs long, I'm sure the bullets look pretty. And I might, they might catch my, I might glance at them. But those are too long. We just don't have the time to go through these lengthy story pitches. My email on Monday was at, when I started work, it was about some 70 or 75 unread emails. I don't like that, but that's the reality. By Wednesday afternoon, it was at over 225, as I think is the number I saw, of unread. And I can tell you that about 60% of that, probably 70, are pitches. And of the 70%, I know I can easily throw out about a third of those. And then the other, then another, um, another percentage, I will just almost automatically get rid of because they're simply too long. And I don't, I don't have the time to go into five and six paragraphs. I'll look at the first paragraph. I'll look at the second paragraph. And if you haven't said something there to catch my eye, I moved on. You know, we're looking for brevity of a pitch. Have you done your homework? Do you know who we're reaching? And um, second, third is, is an interesting angle. For example, like right now, of course, COVID is the dominating story in education. We've been talking about teacher burnout. We've been talking about distance learning. We've been talking about communication. So we kind of need a fresh angle. We need a fresh way of looking at those things. Take that time to really sit with the idea, think, brainstorm, and 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 ask yourself, what's a fresh way for us to talk about this? And the best way I think you can get to that is by talking to the people that are dealing with it. Brevity, do your homework, and an interesting angle. That's what I look for in a good pitch. Great. That's so helpful. It sounds like almost keeping it to one to maybe two paragraphs max. Yeah. And I would say the same thing for press releases. I work with some exceptional PR firms and the smart ones have figured out by now that if if you're going to pitch Namahoy over there at Smart Brief, say if it's a press release, give her maybe one or give her about three or four sentences at the top, say thank you, close out the email, and then put the press release at the bottom. If you catch me at the top and it's something interesting, I have the press release to go to. But if you send me five and six paragraphs and then you want me to read the press release, I don't know. Nobody's got that kind of time. Yeah. It's so good to put it in perspective. I think sometimes people forget how many pitches you could potentially receive on a daily basis. Scores. Yep. Scores. That's the first thing I tell young people who want to go into PR. I said, look, it's a great field. 
It's a wonderful field. It's you, you'll have longevity. Let's talk about what's the specifics, and let's talk about what you should, how you should actually talk to an editor, and what kinds of things we're going to throw out of your press release right away if we're going right. to use it in a story. Yes. Okay. Great. And you mentioned product placement. So people pitching a product. And you said, that's a tricky one. And I have my own strategies for this, but I'm curious what your perspective is for people who are pitching products. You know, product is, is one of those things in B2B. The good news about B2B is, is that we can talk about product and we should talk about product because that's what our B2B readers, business to business professionals are looking for product information. But here's the thing in content marketing or in editorial, what they want is a productive application of it. And that really shouldn't surprise us. You know, when we're looking at, at, at when we as consumers are looking for certain kinds of products, or if we're look, you know, looking for a new dry shampoo, or if we're looking for a new, you know, a new printer for the house, or if we're looking for new, for something different, seeing it within the context of, of someone else's story is really, really helpful. So when it comes to product pitches, that really is the angle I, I exhort people to go. For example, let's talk, let's say that we're talking about something like a credit, credit recovery solution. The best way to come at, to come at us with that angle is who's using that credit recovery solution? What school is using it? How are they using it? What outcomes have they seen? It sounds like a case study, but I'm going to exhort you to go deeper. Give me the best practice. Tell the story through the lens of the end user. Tell the story through the ends of the teacher. Use the teacher's language. What are the things that the teacher was, what problem was the teacher trying to solve? Why did she reach out to you? Why did she have to buy this service? Now that she's using it, what has she discovered? And what are the best practices that have come out of her experience with that? My readers, Spartan Trip readers, and I think a lot of B2B readers, I would say this is one of the first lessons I learned is B2B readers want strategies. They want tips. They want best practices. They want to, they trust their peers. Teachers trust teachers. Principals trust principals. C-level guys absolutely trust their C-level peers. So you want to look at things through, if you're going to be talking about a product, look at it through the lens of the person to whom you're trying to reach. If it's the teacher, if it's the building leader, teachers and principals are going to have different, they have the same goal, serve the student, but they have different priorities and mm-hmm. they've got different decisions that they have to make. So if you're talking to the principal, your language is probably going to be a bit different than if you're talking through the lens of a teacher. But start there. Ask that question. What was the problem? How did you address it? And what were the tips and best practices that came out of that? Your product, let your customer be your advocate. The product is not the star. The, the customer is the star. Their story is the star. How that, how that credit recovery service allowed a student who was really, really far behind and had just given up on school and yet was becoming angrier and angrier in his personal life because he could only get a job at certain places. Like he, he would never go even go higher at the Carl's Jr. job he had because he didn't have a high school diploma. But he was so far behind. He was so discouraged. Like, what's the point? But now there's this thing that allows him to get back on track and, and he could take his time to do it. Now there's hope for that kid. Now he's hopefully less angry or he's learning how to take some steps to get that, just that one thing done in his life. If yes. you come at it through that angle, there's your story. The star is not the credit recovery solution. The star is the outcome for the student. Such a good reminder. Just let's reiterate that again. Your product or service is not the star and you don't want to showcase that. You want to showcase the outcome or the solution to um, that problem and how your product 
facilitates that, but not, it's not about you. Agreed. And it's not simply just that the story is uninteresting because frankly, some stories that are about that are product focused, they're uninteresting and you'll skim it. Richard Collada is the head of ISTE and a, few, a couple of years back at ISTE, I think it was in Philly, during his opening remarks, he said that there's a disconnect between the educator community and the education technology provider community. And that, and he, in a press briefing, he made it clear that part of that disconnect was there was a lack of trust on the educator side when we're constantly pushing product to them and stories that should be talking about their needs and addressing their problems and talking about the kid at Carl's Jr. who was irritated. Instead, we're just, we're cloaking that's, you know, we're cloaking the product in such a way that is untrustworthy. They, they become suspicious and understandably. But right. if, if the product takes a back seat and you let your customer tell their story. That is your best advocate. In education in particular, educators trust educators. And that should be the place from which you pivot and make all your decisions about the content you're developing. Mm -hmm. Are you an education leader, the leader of an ed tech company, or a member of an organization supporting education? We continue to hear from leaders like you who have a story to tell, a message to share, or an important initiative that needs greater awareness. Three years ago, that's exactly what we heard from Doug Roberts, the CEO of the Institute for Education Innovation, when he approached SWPR Group. This led to the launch of a groundbreaking new award that was unlike any other in EdTech. The Soup's Choice Awards, judged exclusively by K-12 superintendents, set IEI on a path to market dominance increasing vendor partners and superintendent members by more than 30% year over year. Jamie Candy, the CEO of Edmentum, shared with SWPR Group the EdTech company's desire to tell district success stories and to elevate the leaders behind their organization in a more thoughtful and strategic way. Throughout the past two years, SWPR Group has established consistent and regular media coverage authored compelling op-eds and secured interviews highlighting success stories while also inserting momentum into timely topics like AI with national reporters. At SWPR Group, we provide public relations, communication strategies, and thought leadership support for today's change makers and the brands they champion. We work together with our clients to bring their mission to life by consistently delivering high quality content, creative communication strategies, and transformational results. What story do you want to tell? Reach out to us using the link in the show notes or visit our website at swpr-group.com. That's beautiful advice. And are there any other key elements of a good story we should touch on there? I don't expect teachers to write like journalists. I don't expect principals or superintendents to write like that. Their job is to educate students. Their job is to teach a kid how to learn algebra or science, history, whatever. I don't expect them to know how to write. I expect you to know how to write. I expect people, I expect people with communications and journalism and English degrees to know how to write. So the elements of a good story when you're submitting it to an editor, make sure it's written well. Make sure it's got a good lead. A story should be well organized. The, the grammar and punctuation should be spot on. This is our profession. This is our craft. Let's not overlook the essentials of what we do. If a story comes to me and it requires a lot of edit, if it requires triple bypass surgery in order to get the story to some place where it's got legs, yeah, I, I won't do it. We don't have time. And it's not because we don't think the story is valuable. That's the, that's the disappointment sometimes when you know that in there somewhere is a good story, but you simply don't have time 
to to spend that kind of time to say, okay, you know, it needs this or it needs that. Really, I expect you guys to see where the holes are. Organize exactly. organize the story well. Make sure there's a natural flow to it. Maybe the thing is not so much the key elements to a story, but how to get a story published. Make it easy on the editor. From the pitch to the publishing, make it easy on the editor. Have a great headline. Give the editor a deck. The summary of the story that goes underneath the headline. Make sure your content is is clean and tight when it goes to the editor. If you're going to submit images, great. Make sure that we can publish them again. Make sure it's not a one-time license. And then send me the photo credit. The more I have to keep going back to you, I don't have time and I probably won't. But if you send me a story that's clean, tight, with an image, it doesn't always have to have an image. We have, you know, we, we can do that. We usually do. But if you send an image, send me the photo credit. Make it easy for me to say yes. Make it, the more I, the less I have to do. No one's being lazy. We're trying to be efficient. Right. So if you do your job on the front end, that means I can quickly go through it. I can see if there's some glaring error, like, oh, what's the person's job title? Or how long have they been? How long have they been using this, this product? The kinds of things a reader would want to know. If we can keep that aspect of the process to a minimum, you're going to get to yes faster. You're going to get your publishing date faster and you're going to make your client happy. And best of all, now you've created a relationship with me. Now I know that I can trust you. So your emails are going to pop. I'm going to look at, I'm going to see your name in my email box. I'm going to give that priority. I'm going to answer your calls faster. When it comes to stuff like that, no, I don't think that editors, I don't think they shine people on on purpose. We don't do that. We want, we don't want to miss a story, but we have, we just don't have time. Building that relationship is super important for you to get to a consistent place with us so that as you pitch stories, we know we can trust you. We know we're going to get something rich. Yes. And you know, I've run into many times in my career where I will have clients or leaders within companies say, oh, we have to include this. It's very important. We talk about the product. It's very important. We talk about X, Y, Z. And I think you really have to stand, be, stand up to them and say, no, this will not run. This will not work. Editors will not accept content like this. So it's important to be able to share that information with the leaders of your company and your clients and whoever you're working with, just educate them about what will and will not fly when it comes to getting published. That is a really important and it's a fair point. And I'm glad you brought that up because I did want to, I, I did want to address that too, because you guys are stuck between a rock and a hard place. A person who's working with the director or the VP of marketing, and he's got to go report to the CEO. And really they have this checklist of things they have to see in content period. And like, okay, say, look, Kanoi will take this. She'll look at it, but she's going to, she might have some changes. And so let's take that product. Well, it's got to mention this. Great. I'll mention it. I'm probably, I'm not going to hyperlink it. You can hyperlink, you can mention your product also in the bio and in the bio, I will let you hyperlink it. There are certain editorial guidelines we have to follow. So there is a way to get there. There is a way to have, to get the product mentioned. I'm just not going to mention, I'll mention it. I'll mention it as many times as is necessary in the story. If it doesn't make sense, I'm not going to mention it or I'm not, or I'm going to pull it out because it sticks out like a sore thumb and it hurts you. It hurts the vendor because it's an obvious marketing ploy. There is a, there is a happy compromise. There is a happy medium, but again, relationship will take, will take care of a lot of that. Yep. I totally agree. Very good points. Okay. So what else should, should our listeners not do when they're trying to get their company or organization featured. I mean, we, we touched on quite a few. Is there anything else you want to add to that? You know, I, I was look, I was thinking about this last night and there's only one thing 
I, I want to say about that is after the drawn out, long drawn out story pitches is when you're giving us a story, really pay attention to the quotes that you use in the story. Are they quotes that make sense for the story? Teachers as a rule or as principals, sometimes they use words like game changers, but it many times it just comes across as false. There's certain, like, don't give us quotes that are full of marketing jargon. It yeah. is, it is obvious. It happens a lot. So I'm not going to pick on any one person, but I'm just going to give an example that there was a story that we were given and looked through it. And there was a superintendent, a quote from a superintendent. And up until that point in the story, it was fine. It wasn't going to win a Pulitzer, but it was fine. But then the quote from the superintendent kind of threw in the words. It, it was some phrasing around equity, low income students, and diversity and engagement. And I looked at the quote, I read it again, and then I was just irritated because it had nothing to do with the rest of the story. It was clear that somebody had thrown in those words so that it would sound good. It would sound like this product was designed to serve students who are low income and disadvantaged. I said, well, first of all, all students deserve the opportunity to have tools in front of them that help them do well in school. But secondly, this tool is not going to change anything for the kid who hasn't eaten. It's not going to do anything for the kid whose Chromebook has a cracked screen. So really, no, your your little doohickey here is not the silver bullet for changing. If you pulled those words out, the quote stood all by itself and it was fine. It was great. And the story would have, and we, we ran the story anyway. It ran in one of the briefs, but I did have a conversation with, with some folks about that. I'm like, look, you were good up until this point. And it's these kinds of things that are insulting to, to educators and to people who are actually working with these students. And they know that there's not a silver bullet. And they know that this kind of tool is definitely not it. It was so far away from that. It wasn't even funny. So be authentic in your quotes. Get the really a great PR person will know. Like It's like an editor. PR people, the, the only thing that separates you and I, sir, is job title. You and I look at stories through the same lens. We're both after a good, rich story. So our ear knows what a good quote sounds like. We know what a hook sounds like when mm -hmm. we hear it, when you get that thing from a teacher or from a principal, or from a superintendent. It's that raw thing that comes out of them, that they, why they really like this device or this strategy. And that is the quote that you want to include in the story. That's the quote you want to include in the story pitches. So what not to do? Don't put, don't, st don't stuff marketing jargon into your story. Yeah. Not just your quote, but anywhere in a story. Marketing anywhere. jargon is not a fit for a, a media pitch. It's of boring. We got to just say it. It's boring. That's yes. what there are functions at marketing, any kind of jargon. There are ways to use that and places to use that where it can be more effective. But in a story that's pure editorial, you weaken the story when you use it that way. Yeah. Okay. That is really good advice. Really appreciate that. And then I wanted to talk about a few different ways that people might actually not know how they can get coverage. I have a couple thoughts on my own, but I'm curious if there's any one or two ways that you could share that people could pursue coverage of their organization's editorial coverage that not, might not be that obvious. Sure. Start with serve the reader. You're going to hear me say that over and over again, serve the reader, what's their need and listen to your customers. And in education, I listen to your customers when I'm working with, even on the content marketing side, this, you know, it serves both. You know, I'll often ask like, what are your sales reps telling you about their customers? 
sales reps should know their own customers, right? And they do. And so they'll know the customer that's really excited, that has sent them gushing emails like, oh my gosh, I just love this. You know, it's made it so much easier to manage my classroom or it's made it so much easier. We were using this new math curriculum and it's got different word problems in it and the students are are getting it because these word problems actually match their life experiences, things like that. So serve the reader, no, listen to your customers, know who those customers are that are excited about what they're do- about their own practices mm-hmm. and about the tool, not just the tool, but also about their own practices. When you get that person, that person is going to have all kinds of things to say, which is going to make the writing part of it that much easier. There are rich stories in your organizations, research firms, think tanks. You have all of those rich stories. Find out who's excited. Listen to what their needs are. What makes a teacher happy, sad, angry, frustrated? It takes some thought. It takes some time. Thoughtful, meaningful content take time. You have to decide where your priorities are. And I know that's really tough. I know that's kind of putting you in an impossible situation because we all got to churn out content faster. Of course, we're going to have to take, you know, not everything's going to be a gem, but you have gems among your folks. So listen, serve the reader, ask what their their issues are, sit with them, talk, have them talk you through your day that when you pick up on the nuances, the gems are in the nuances. Yeah. Such good advice there. And then I was actually thinking in terms of practical strategies for my listeners, not only can they pitch you stories and ideas, but they can also, as we've talked about today, share articles, like develop their sure. own columns. And there's guidelines for those. They can find those on your website, I believe. Sharing those stories that they've written themselves, that's one easy way to get coverage if it's a, if it's a powerful story. And it's well, not- Well, it kind of depends. It, yeah. that, I'm glad you brought that up. So for the briefs, we curate content from, um, from news outlets. So while we wouldn't take something from like a company's blog, right. but if you wrote a story and, and it was published like on um, eSchool News or TG Journal or District Administration or Tech and Learning or EdSurge, you say, you say, hey, you know what? You want to check out this story, Kanoi and EdSurge. And it might be maybe it's a commentary written by your COO. Perfect. I can. I would definitely be glad to take that uh, to look at it. We can consider. We consider on a on a case by case basis. So there are two ways. You can either get coverage by pitching stories directly to us, writing them up, and submitting them to us. Or if you get coverage, if the Atlantic is writing about you, if the Wall Street Journal is writing about you, if your local regional papers are writing about you, there's excellent regional stuff out there. Then send us those story links, and we will consider those for the briefs. When it comes to things like stories written, some trade publications will, as a rule, we don't take stories written by vendors. We, we just don't. However, at Smart Brief, we did create a column called Insights. You know, for Insights, it's a thought leadership column. It is written. The people that write for that are people who are like C-level, usually director, VP, C-level and above. And they're talking about an issue in education. So they might be talking about credit recovery. They might be talking about distance learning for um, special ed students, things of, things of that nature. We started the column because there are some excellent voices on the ed tech provider side, and we, we felt we were missing some of them. And we didn't want that to happen. So I know I don't publish every pitch that I get, but I, we do, the editors make the decisions on who we will publish, but that is a way to get your original content, content that is written by a vendor. That is a way to get that into smart brief. Mm -hmm. So this curating, yeah, this curating through like coverage in a publication, tell us, I won't run anything that's running on your company blog. It's got to be fresh original content, or you can come to it with a story with a, with a story idea, or you can, 
if depending on who your your um, higher up executives are and how knowledgeable they are, um, we can talk about something for insights. So there yeah. are different ways. Right. And a good starting point for some people might just be, this is my organization. This is what we can provide. Just so you know, Kanoi, we'd love to be a resource to you. That's and, a great way. Yeah. yeah. That, that's and, a great way to start the relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and don't overlook those media days at conferences, you know, and we're at this place where we've got virtual conferences, right? And so I'm already getting, you know, I'm already getting invitations for ISTE. That's really where you sit face to face with an editor. You shake hands, you strike a conversation. We well, used, right? used right, to, right? Right, <laughs> right, right. Now we're everyone is like, uh, we'll be doing it over Zoom, but it's right. those kinds of connections. Ed tech vendors, please don't, don't miss those opportunities to, to sit down with those folks to say hi. And if an editor says, I can't, I can't sit down for very long. Just invite them to your booth and and shake their hand and and that's fine. Getting that kind of FaceTime is important. That's fantastic advice. I think it's so important to know that there's many different ways you can reach out to an editor and successfully build that relationship. Yes. So that's good. I'm glad we touched on that. Okay. And then finally, is there any other advice that you suggest that our listeners just consider or one final piece of advice that you leave us with today? You know, we spent a lot of this conversation talking about kind of, you know, front loading the process, you know, how to get a good story pitch pat to an editor. What does that pitch look like? What does the press release look like? You know, all of those things. I really want to emphasize, build the trust and build a relationship with the editor. If, if you, when you send the story in, make sure it's great. Make sure it's strong. Make sure it's well-written. Make sure it's well-organized. Make sure that that it's something that you would want to read. And if you can do that, now you've built a relationship or you've started a relationship. Now I trust you. Now I know that I can go back to you when when I have story needs. Yes, do the work up front, but make sure that you're honorable. In, in nurturing that relationship moving forward. If I come to you for, for help and if you can't do it, say it, that doesn't, and I won't hold that against you. Mm-hmm. I'll come back to you again. Sometimes you will like, oh, I'd love to help you, Kenoy, but we just don't have anybody doing robotics right now. No problem. I'll be back with the next time. And I will always take honesty. Yeah. If you're pitching a story and you haven't heard back, you're probably not, you might be getting ignored. So make a phone call and you might not, they might not pick up the phone, leave a message. I will always check messages. And if it's something I can get back to and I need, I will. You honor that relationship. Be a person they can trust. Be a person that they know they can go to for clean content over and over again. I know who I can go to so I can get consistent good stuff for my readers that actually gets my readers excited. They're doing a tough job. How do we help them? How do we support this engine called education? That those can't be fluffy words. For those of us on the communication side of things, we have to be the ones who feel the heartbeat. We have to be the ones that don't mess in the jargon. We must be smarter than that because that's genuinely how we serve it and how we stay employable and how we stay relevant. Keep our jobs, keep this engine going, feel that heartbeat, and you'll be good every time. That's great. I, I try to remember just keep it about the people. Yeah. And focus on the people, and then you're probably going to be in the right headspace. It just naturally goes there. Mm-hmm. My career doesn't make any sense any other way. You look at the my career like what? You know that's not what <laughs> they told me in high school. What? You know it. I did. It was not a straight line. But I I know for certainty when I talk to young people, I say I know for certainty this is exactly the path I was supposed to take because every experience built on each other and 
And along the way, I learned certain things that made this job possible, but also make the content something that is strong. Not everything, like not everything's going to win a Pulitzer. We are a staff of editors that we don't have a ton of time to write. We would write more originals if we could. So we rely on, on others to help us support that effort. And the reality is we don't have a ton of time. So we pick and choose. We do excellent work with our editing, but we're always after making content strong. Weak content, I'll throw back to you. Strong content, a strong message. I feel I feel good that we're running consistently good content. Oh, you are. Oh, this has been such a great episode. I think it's going to be so helpful to so many people just to understand a little bit more about how this actually works in real life. <laughs> well, I appreciate you having me here. And I wanted to say again to those of you on this podcast that are serving education in, in, in the positions you are, thank you. Um, let me know how I can support you. Um, Sarah's got my email and uh, I'm glad to chat with folks. Um, reach out to me and I'm glad to have a conversation, but thank you for the work that you do. It is important. It is urgent. And especially today, there is a great need for what you're doing. Yes. And where can my listeners, I have your email. Do you want to share that publicly or do you want to send them to a, a website? What do you want to share about you? You you can, no, you can, you can follow us on Twitter. I, I do have a Kanoi dot Kanoi underscore Namahoy uh, on Twitter, but I don't tweet as much from that as I do from SB Education, SB Education. And then you can, of course, reach out to me, Kanoi dot Namahoy at futurenet.com. And Kanoi is uh, spelled like canoe, except the K, K A N O E dot N A, Amazon Mary A H O E at futurenet.com. Perfect. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to chat with us. Seriously, I know you're going to help so many people um, improve their media outreach after this episode. And I I hope you'll see stronger pitches coming in after this. (laughs) I look forward to it. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you so much. Okay. And listeners, don't forget to grab my new free guide with my top three secrets for landing media coverage. You can find that at mediatips.swpr-group.com. That's mediatips.swpr-group.com. Thank you so much for tuning in today. And if you enjoyed the episode, be sure to subscribe to our podcast and write us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever platform you choose to listen. We'll be back with another episode of Build Momentum next week. Thanks so much and have a fantastic day.